Hey, Jason. Hey, Dan. How are you doing this week? I'm doing really fantastic. It's a big week. It's a big week for O-Ran. Oh, yeah? Big week for network slicing. Have I, have I told you that I'm, I'm now a, a vegan keto that does CrossFit and I want to talk about all three? <laughs> no, I missed that. Was that on your personal blog or where would I tune no. in for that kind of no, info? I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. Oh, darn. I'm kidding. Yeah. I mean, not darn. Yeah, I know. I know. But I do enjoy things around those topics. Oh, like, do you? you know, yeah, in general. Exercising, yeah. weightlifting, eating right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, look at the picture on the website. That looks gigantic. I mean, that was right when you got back from Europe, though. That was, that was, we were going to move back from Sweden mm-hmm. to uh, Los Gatos, California. And I had essentially like five and a half, six weeks off between the two. And so we went and uh, went to Prague for a week. And then we went and spent the entire month of December in Rome. Mm. We got an apartment uh, in, you know, I mean, it a sounds, building it sounds that was very made fancy, in like the a 14th. James Bond thing of you. Yeah, we were right off Piazza Navona, just like right there in, uh, in like a great, you know, three bedroom, two bathroom apartment. So, you know, the kids, the kids doubled up. Right. And uh, we did a solid month in Rome. Wow. We just, yeah, we just. Literally did Rome there, and it was and it was also Rome during Christmas, which is gorgeous. I mean, you can walk over to the, um, you know, the place where the Pope lives, the Vatican, and uh, yeah, the Pope's the Pope's house, as we call it. Yeah, Pope's Pope's place. Yeah, Pope's uh, place. and and that's it's at least decorated nice. I mean, um, personally, I'm not very religious, uh, but uh, it was pretty. Yeah, and it was quite nice. Uh, the moral of the story is that despite walking, you know, roughly seven to 10 kilometers every day, I still managed to uh, gain about a pound and a quarter every day we were in Rome. <laughs> I mean, here's what I'll say about that. I've known you, Jason, for a long time. I've, no- I've known you longer than most people have known you. Yeah, that's true. And yeah. I can say, like, I've known you way longer than your wife and your kids have known you. We're We're that's basically... True. That's true. The closest That's thing true. we have to childhood friends. Well, and I, I, I can, I can, I mean, I hereby declare you a childhood friend. That's there you why. go. Yeah. So what I can say about you is when you set your mind to do something, it's like, it's as good as done. It's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. My wife calls it full Hoffman. Uh-huh. So <laughs> that's yeah. a thing, I guess. Yeah. And like, if you want to gain weight, no amount of exercise is going to stop even, you. I think I even own that domain name. Fullhoffman.com. Oh, do, I don't do, do anything with it. Yeah. 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 Cause I, I, I do have a habit of, uh, you know, it'd be like, uh, oh, you know, you want to go learn something. It's like, yes. Like, what did you do? I just read 88 books about it. Right. Right. <laughs> I, yeah, so, um, but, uh, I mean, you look good no, in the photo. You well, look you know, healthy. What's amusing? I mean, you look full. fat. So fat. I mean, mm. oh, yeah. It's like the, literally the fattest I've ever been is when I came back. Cause I mean, I, I, I literally put on. How long ago um, was that, by the way? Uh, the first quarter of 2018, so okay. three years ago. A few years back. Yeah, I've t- I've taken all that weight off since then. Oh, but uh, um, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I'm I'm from that picture. I'm down 47 pounds. Oh wow, wow. Yeah. Oh, but it, it was so for me. Um, 
not not to of course talk about my own my own eating habits but for me uh mixing carbohydrates with alcohol is a guaranteed recipe for being fat oh sure Oh yeah. And so, and then, you know, Rome was the worst for this. We, so they don't really serve breakfast in Rome. Like you don't really serve breakfast. So there's the idea that you would wake up at seven in the morning and go to the diner and get, you know, eggs and stuff that none of that exists. Um, you know, places open to eat, you know, for restaurant, you know, maybe 10 o'clock in the morning. So, you know, there's no, there's no need to get up early. Right. If you do get up early, you might go to a, a, you know, there's this great place that was just down from us that made, these beautiful sandwiches and they would cut them, you know, in a triangular shape. And then they were, uh, you know, mozzarella and tomato sandwich. And there's like beautiful homemade white bread. And then, you know, maybe some pastries and that type of thing. So we'd get these gorgeous sandwiches and pastries and then, you know, proceed to, you know, walk, say, for example, into Piazza Navona and grab one of the touristy spots. And then you sit down and what you have for breakfast is literally like, pasta with stuff so i'd have like pasta carbonara you know because it's got eggs in it right and then um (laughs) they had this uh like double espresso martini that they then put like a layer of heavy cream on top (laughs) so it was like literally uh two shots of espresso with about two shots of vodka you know sort of like you know tossed up poured into a martini glass layered with with you know heavy cream on the top of it mm. and uh i got in a very bad habit of drinking three to five of those with breakfast basically oh my gosh well because it's you end up you have six to ten shots of espresso right and uh you know you add some ten to six shots of vodka to that you just relax and so uh yeah i mean we just uh ate and drank and I mean, and seriously, all day walking here, all day walking there, going and walking all over the place, and then it was nothing but uh, still gaining a pound a day. So, but but that was a very long that was a very long conversation, Dan, about why I'm so fat on the website. Um, but yeah, well, I feel like today's, it's pertinent today's to first the, article. You know, it's to the show. It's important uh, for the listeners to know. I think. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. That that's just like that's a porky the you know, porky the pig cartoon uh-huh. sitting out there. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not true. I mean everyone's their look own at, worst look, critic. Look at it, I look think at you it great in that. I think you're It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. Mm-hmm. But no, so I saw in the news recently that Deutsche Telekom Telefonic and Mobile Ajax actually optimized user experience for Continental's collision warning solution. It's amazing, huh? Did you notice that? I know I heard the same thing about that. It's, um, you know, this is an application yeah. backend. It was deployed on something they're calling cloudlets. Yeah, yeah. Cloudlets are uh, a term that was came that came that was uh, created um, out of Carnegie Mellon University's um, Open Edge project and and Sadia the the sort of professor that leads that I, I believe he my recollection is he wrote an article quite a while ago and saying that edge sites are little clouds and so he called them cloudlets mm. just just like piglets or little pigs <laughs> right so yeah but cloudlets cloudlet turns out to be one of those um 
terms for an edge site. Yeah. So you've got you've got Cloudlets, and yeah. these were part of uh, Deutsche Telekom and, and Telefonica, as you said. Yeah, yeah. The fun part here was it was two completely different operators, right? Uh, in Germany, uh, and that's a uh, vehicle to anything communications platform that Continental put together. And these are, of course, you know, one of the large you know, suppliers to the automotive industry, and you know, they make from tires to everything else. Uh, it's that continental, uh, they happen to be a German company and they had a, um, um, use case here around collision avoidance, you know, so how do we actually, um, drive that sort of use case? And right. it was, uh, you know, interesting because it is a use case that you can argue does have to be in the edge. And we wanted to show that it was something that somebody like continental could have this work across multiple operators in a country. So yeah, it was pretty cool. It's a pretty cool thing. And it, uh, it was the reason that they did it was to, it was, or part of how they did it was set up to ensure low latency, reduce jitter, which preserves the edge service interconnection from congestion or traffic peaks. Oh yeah. So peaky. So jittery. And what do you think jitter is? What do you think jitter is? I'm used to hearing about jitter more like in reference to, cause I'm like doing the podcasting audio stuff. They always talk about jitter as being, yeah. I guess, unreliable network connectivity so that, uh, yeah, it's almost like noise noise, right? Yeah. Just like, and you use it just like how you have, I drank too much coffee and I got jittery. You're jittery. Yeah. You're making a bunch of noise. So right. it's a noisy network, but yeah. Like your teeth are, are clacking together. Like you're cold. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like that. Well, I mean, if out, out of you know all the news we were going to talk about today, that's really the only one that's truly newsworthy, and we can probably move on now. <laughs> so let's well then let's do let's talk about um, the Telus five G network. It can now support uh-huh. multiple virtual networks that run in parallel yeah. seamlessly. Seems nice. Yeah. This enables networks to support different kinds of services at the same time. Yeah. And the article goes on to explain that in traditional three G and four G networks, um, yeah. Communication service providers, or CSPs, or as you would say, CSPs. No, they, they actually say CSPs. That CSPs. one's not pronounced. Uh, yeah. They use different quality of service values or VPNs to differentiate yeah. service level of priority. Yeah. But yeah. when congestion happens, this increases the oh, likelihood of dropped so calls congestible. and service interruptions. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then they have failover stuff. But they're saying that's, that's not acceptable. And this Not new way to do it is the better way to do it. Uh, yeah, I mean, one of the challenges around uh, network slicing is, uh, as they would say, you know, in traditional 3G, 4G networks, these guys use different quality of service values and they use VPNs uh, to do different levels of service priority and that type of thing, right? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, mobile VPNs have been an offering forever. And then the idea that, you know, maybe, you know, an enterprise account has a different quality of service is, is there. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's funny because um, one of the challenges that, of course, you have talking about network slicing internally is who who gives a shit? I mean, it's 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 a it's a almost an uh, implementation detail around something that consumers thought they had already. 
So right. it's, so, it's know, neither exciting nor interesting nor well. So it is. It is. It is from an implementation about. standpoint. It is from an implementation standpoint. You right. know, and so um, you know, if uh, um, you know, but but literally, it's a, it's like the idea that you have a VPN. And that's literally like almost on a per application per device VPN, uh, and you can do many of these, and you can put you know other capabilities inside of that and um, that private network and, and the like. But it's really just a mechanism to be able to do highly granular uh, private networks on a device by device, account by account, application by application basis. Uh, you know, there's a a lot of things, of course, that go into the technical implementation of it and and why that's possible and. There's some back-end orchestration. I, I think um, it's one of these features or, you know, capabilities where exactly how it's going to be monetized and how you present it up to end developers and end devices, uh, you know, how it's the type of thing that you could argue for its existence to a consumer as to why we do network slicing best, you should move to us. Uh, it's, it's not really any of those things. Well, who is the consumer in this, right. in, in, in your scenario there? The consumer is a regular person with a, uh, any, any, anybody that's using a device, with a device, anybody that's using a device. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, and the device can go from a smartphone to a car, to a drone, to, or to as, sort of or as you say, else. a terminal. A terminal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's, uh, um, I mean, it's, again, the way to think about it is it's like a, a better technical implementation of a mobile VPN. And um, it has the possibility of making certain use cases possible. Um, but there's still a lot of work, in my opinion, around the uh, the usability and the commercialization of them. Why is that? Uh, because everybody that's like talking about it are deep in the guts of RAN and everything else. Uh, and, you know, let's do here. They, they have a, a poor history of surfacing up capabilities to developers that they can consume on demand. That's why. Okay. Good answer. I'll take it. Yeah. Telefonica yeah. also, and also Mac it's a classic thing too of, uh, sorry to interrupt, but it's, 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 it's also, how does it work across different vendors? How does it work across different operators? You know, it's the type of things where you think that there's um, not really a standard for it. Oh, there's a standard for it. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that it's, uh, you're exactly looking at the same integration endpoints. So there's, 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 I think the remaining work to do on network slices is, how to, how to, how to, how to commercialize it and how to present it up as a good on-demand service. Who would be taking that challenge on? Uh, it's, uh, one of the things we've been doing from a mobile edge X perspective. Yeah. For example, I mean, in that we try to have, yeah, network, you can think of network slices and things around like the ultra, uh, reliable, low latency nodes and these types of things. I mean, you can think about those have to be, rolled up into a, a developer view and capabilities that is multi-vendor and multi-operator and gives them, you know, some degree of commonality, you know, across that. And so, um, you know, again, it's one of these, it's just one of these examples of stuff that's, um, 
you know, it's very navel gazing, you know, in the sense of vendors and telcos are putting the things together, but, uh, but it would be, um, it, 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 w- it would be good to start seeing much more fully automated examples against them. But yeah. Sorry. I interrupted you talking about the telephonic NEC. Yeah. Uh, the right. NEC or, or NEC, uh, to build open ran live pilots in four global markets. <laughs> as a key milestone toward mass deployment. So here is the quote uh, we pulled from the article. Telefonica and NEC, or NEC, as you say, (laughs) will collaborate in validating and implementing cutting-edge open RAN technologies. And we've talked about open RAN a bunch on this. um, And various use cases at the newly established Telefonica Technology and Automation Lab, which is in Madrid. The use cases include those built on AI-driven radio intelligent controllers, RIC, for RAN optimization, service lifecycle automation based on service management and orchestration, SMO, testing and deployment automation in accordance with Telefonica's continuous integration, continuous deployment, CI slash CD framework, as well as power savings optimization. This kind of reads just like a press release. Uh, it is. Yeah. It's, just a, it's a classic vendor press release. Yeah. 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 I mean, um, okay. So, I mean, open ran is one of these angles that a less dominant or practically non-existent player in the ran space, like NEC can have as an entry point. Is this so NEC you, like the ones that make the computer monitors NEC? Is that yeah, the same yeah, one? Same guys. Yeah. 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 Same ones. Yeah. Yep. Like literally, and they've, they've made a ton of stuff. I mean, um, so, um, you can go to neck.com. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, NEC has been around since the late 19th century. Yeah. So, and it's, uh, and it is like, um, Nippon electric corporation. I think it literally is. So, um, and they've done laptops, supercomputers. Sure. Yeah. All sorts of things. Um, single-walled carbon nanotubes. So, no, just a press release. You're not impressed. You don't. You don't care. I don't care. What about Swarmio? Yeah. Uh, you know that that so um, you know uh, I mean, you know, part of it is you go and you say, well, you know, the problem with Tocos is that they were the kings before they lost most of the entertainment sector. They lost music to Spotify. They lost yep. music to Apple or movies to Netflix. They even lost voice and conferencing capabilities to WhatsApp, Google, and everyone else. I hate statements like that. I think it's an ignorant statement. Because um, this is not, it's just stupid. I mean, Telcos have never, um, how exactly did Telco lose music to Apple or movies to Netflix? Did you go and get movies from your mobile operator before? You went, you went and got what? You had music from the guys you had your phone with? <laughs> I, you know, yeah. uh, all these things, this idea that the telecom sector has been hurt by the over the top players is just one of those arguments that I get tired of hearing. Do you, why do you think that that I, cause I've read this a number of times. Why do you yeah. think that this idea is being perpetuated so often then if it's so wrong? Uh, because people like to complain and play the victim and uh, they don't want to think past their own little shitty world, I guess. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's a normal human thing that we do 
as a species, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Probably. Yeah, we blame everybody else. Mm-hmm. I know what's funny is whenever something's negative or you think something's negative, you blame everybody else. Whenever something's positive, you take all yeah, the credit. You take credit for it. You know, and whenever you have to go and do the right thing, you make it about you, you don't make it about them. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the uh, truth of the technology, the, the telco sector is, yeah, they used to only do phones. And we all had phones and they were physical landlines on copper wires and everything else like that. And then there were other services around the phone, you know, star 69 and voicemail and these kind of things, you know, that, that was all okay. And then a lot of us started getting cable in our homes from a cable provider. Cable provider was always different from the person we got the phone from, right? Oh yeah. Always. So, and by the way, the tell and telco is for telephone, yep. just FYI. Yep. You know, and so we got our telephone from telcos, and we got our TV uh, from cable operators. Right. I mean, that's sort of how you know most of the experience was, in, uh, at least in the, the U.S. and Europe. Uh, and then uh, some operators had to start doing a mobile business, too, and you had a lot of mobile startups. Uh, you know, I think someone like T-Mobile U.S. is the combination of three mobile startups. You know, most of these guys are in aggregate now of that. What we saw was a very big shift to mobile because it's wireless, cordless, and you get to, like, take it with you anywhere. Uh, The rise of the mobile phone um, started just mirroring the phones we had. It's a little like a cordless phone. You made phone calls, you know, and then you could start doing some messaging on there, and those guys had messaging. Um but there are always requirements on SMS. You know, it had to work. You had to do guaranteed delivery and uh, the, these types of things. But even heading up into 2007, you know, outside of, you know, the BlackBerry, none of the phones out there were some sort of development platform that you'd go do a number of things on, at least not in some consistent way. Then the smartphone comes out. And it just illustrated that... Um, People would need a data plan where they'd go consume data. Right. And, you know, the big transition operators had to do with that was how do you make phone calls just a workload that goes on the data plan? How do you make messaging just a workload that goes on the data plan? And everything goes on the data plan. Uh, I don't, I'm not sitting around. I, I, I look at my bill. I don't think my bill's. My, you know, my bill from mobile operators today is bigger than it was 15 years oh, ago. Heck yeah, yeah. So, like, what's what's the problem? I mean, is there some prop some problem with the profitability of Verizon or AT and T or Deutsche Telekom? Well, maybe it's or, just that they want it all. Th- right? These are they, all these are all great. Yeah, but they can't have it all because they're not global companies. True, they're, they're a company that just sits in a country. So who who's going to go and buy movies from? you know, an AT&T or Verizon when they're only here in the U.S. Yeah. So how exactly are they going to negotiate what? You know, it's just silly. So none of these things were lost. You have to have something to lose it. True. You know, it's like these guys didn't lose search. They didn't lose advertising. Uh, You know, the big thing they basically had to go do was build out an entire sort of network and convert to people having data plans and then, you know, go and, you know, do stuff on top of it. And then, you know, I can tell you, too, that for people that are in the gaming space, no, no one that I, I play video games, I don't want to buy it from my telco. No. How the hell do I do that? I'm not going to buy it from no. any of that. Yeah. No one wants that. Literally no one. Yeah. Yeah. No one wants that. No. That's not a thing. No. That's not a thing. 
not a thing. No. We got another like fully sponsored uh, PR type piece coming up next, I think. Uh, yeah, the edge is just a massive geographically distributed cluster. That one? No sh- yeah. Um, the di- yeah. Here's from the article. The difficult thing in the early days of hyper-distributed computing with varying levels of the tightness or looseness of the coupling and clusters of machines is to bridge the gap for people who are still thinking about edge locations as pets and not as cattle. The underlying <laughs> infrastructure has to be provisioned and managed in a consistent way, whether the machines yeah. are relatively tightly coupled, <laughs> as is the case with HPC simulation and modeling clusters using uh-huh. the messaging the message passing interface or MPI stack or partition yeah. global access space PGAS to lash. <laughs> sorry, PGAS to lash, to lash nodes together or loosely couple, or they might not be coupled at all. A collection of web servers in a data center, perhaps or open ran server uh, servers housed underneath cell based stations. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, decipher yeah. this for the rest of us, if you please. It's just, it's 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 a commercial. The whole thing's a commercial. I mean, the the um, is Edge a massive distributed geographically distributed cluster? Yeah, no shit. Uh, does that mean that the software that these guys do for high performance computing is directly amenable to the Edge space? No, no. No, well, because look, I mean, I, I started out in HPC, and then I went and quote unquote, you know, was a cloud pioneer. Um, HPC clusters have a time determination of when the output comes and like whenever. So you go and you run your, your big job on there and it's done when it's done. You know, the way that cloud's different and the way that particularly with web on cloud and even edge and that type of things is, uh, there's a deterministic time constraint on when the output has to come out. You have to say this has to come out in less than hundred milliseconds. Or it's not interesting. Uh, and so when you start thinking about, as you can imagine, if you want to go and do uh, a whole lot of fundamental math, analytics, machine learning, you're going to go run those workloads and you're going to maybe run a whole bunch of them. And you might have a bunch of different people running a whole bunch of them. And it may be very distributed and everything else. But the general sort of constraint on that is the result's going to come out when it's going to come out. Right. Yep. Uh, that's very different than the results going to come out right now. Uh, and as you can imagine, you know, most systems where uh, you're going and deciding that you're going to have, um, and it's not like you know things like the me- like the MPI, you know, message passing interface mm-hmm. and everything else, mm-hmm. and all the stuff that was in HPC twenty years ago, still in HPC today, and. Um, you know, a lot of great concepts there. But then the funny thing is like basically none of them showed up in the public cloud implementations. They were inspirational for it. I mean, shit, I, I, I mean, I wrote an article 16 years ago about the quote unquote web grid. And it was literally about the aspects of grid computing and what that meant and different things that were being done around MPI and, um, um, and uh, you know, distributed memory sharing and everything else, that's very applicable to, I have a lot of computers and I'm trying to make it behave as one big computer and I want it to go solve the problem for me and it can take however long it wants me to go solve that. That type of scheduling problem is a different scheduling problem than you have in, in edge implementations. 
but I think it's fine that a company that uh, makes, uh, you know, literally a uh, Linux cluster management solution for the high-performance computing space um, goes and talks about edge. That's fine. People did the same thing in the past about cloud. And it turned out that a lot of the stuff from the HPC space was um, uh, not necessarily relevant in the core implementations of the infrastructure. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I think a lot of it for me came down to the time constraints that you end up having on, on some things. So it doesn't so, sound like you're super enthusiastic about that. It's another, that's another commercial. It's another I mean, commercial. it's fine. They're, it's fine. They're saying it, but it's, it's, uh, it's edge washing an HPC scheduler. So there's another article here called which, uh, which the title of it, Zero Trust Requires Cloud Data Security with Integrated Continuous Endpoint Risk Assessment. From an endpoint perspective, CCA enables your policies to take into account all the typical endpoint indicators, such as malicious apps, compromised devices, phishing attacks, app and device vulnerabilities, and even God, risky apps. We just, let's just stop there. It's another commercial. Another commercial. Let's move on to the next one. Yeah. Telemetry. It's another commercial. And the zero trust stuff is like, yeah, of course you want to have a security model that doesn't require you to trust anybody, including your own people. Fine. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's, it seems logical. Yeah, yeah, easy. Uh, there are a couple other little industry news tidbits I'm going to throw out at you. You, you pick yeah. one and we'll talk yeah. about it. Bring it. Uh, Dish has partnered with IBM for a new cloud-native 5G network. Dish is in this, man. Dish and IBM are in this now. Yeah, I, I think this is another IBM press release. Uh-huh. I'm in... I, I mean, AWS is in there with Dish too, right? Yep. Okay, so who thinks it's going to do a better job over time? AWS. Yeah. Okay. Next article. Um, the <laughs> trade-offs between edge versus cloud as localized yeah. processors become more powerful. What works best where? Uh, Pendulum has been swinging between doing all the processing in the cloud or doing increasing yeah. amounts of processing at the edge. What's that? What's that? I didn't even look at this article. What's next? Are you going to tell me data is new oil? Um, no, that's not what the article says, but they say that edge computing is itself is getting faster. Wait, which article are we talking about? The innov- trade-offs between edge and cloud? Yeah. The one in this, let me look, semi-engineering? This is, yeah, that one, semi-engineering. Yeah, let me computing scroll, at the edge it has right its limitations. Quote, look, when you cannot do something there. on the edge because devices are not says, powerful enough, you have to do them in the cloud. It says data is the new oil. Yeah. It's 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 uh um um I guess this is it, this is a pretty well it's a very long article yeah. I mean, it's amazingly long uh, there's a lot that can be done from a simplification standpoint of it but um um the trade offs I usually talk about between edge and cloud and I and I don't know. If I'd really formulate them as trade-offs, you know, per se, um, and um, you know what I what I mean by that is there's this question of uh, how do I say this? Like this sort of a, a, a question of is there a um. Is there a long-term defensible definition of edge? And can you go and list like the features and functionality that would make edge different from what you'd call cloud? 
Right. And, and, that, and that's, you know, if you're going to go and give something a different name, it should be different, right? Right. And so Edge uses and extends a lot of the technical architectures you see in quote-unquote clouds, but there are critical metadata operational and ownership differences, and most of these are centered around functional concepts around mobility, you know, the, the workloads themselves move around. Right. Um, scarcity, you know, in that clouds by NIST were defined, and that's the, you know, National Institute of Standards and Technology in the United States. It was defined by NIST as, you know, like infinite scale and capabilities. It's supposed to give the perception of that. Edge will never give that perception. Right. There will always be a scarcity concept in there. And then all Edge implementations have to have um, an inherent understanding of sovereignty and borders. And and if you look at all Edge use cases and workloads, if you thought of them as this question of like, well, what's what what is it from a common technical, like, well, what how would you go give it a technical phrase? <laughs> uh, I mean, every every Edge workload requires location specific computing and data. Cloud workloads do not, and so clouds tend to be hyperscale. It's at that meaning the the scale appears to be infinite from the external view. Edges are always hyper local, and it's essentially the same difference between the internet and mobile networks. And uh, and I and I think there's there's not always, um, you know, there's it's not this like when you talk about trade offs between edge and cloud, it's like well. Trade-offs makes it sound like these two things are competing together. Yeah. When they're not competing together, we actually have to say that Edge deserves to exist and it, it it's it's got its own goddamn name. Right. And then cloud exists, as we know, and it's got its name. Okay. So then there needs to be a list of shit under cloud and a list of shit under edge where you look and you say, oh, blue, red, left, right up, down, like they're different. Right. Uh, and then you sit down and say, well, because a lot of these applications are much more of this flow and pipeline type design where you have the flow of data moving down a pipeline that you're doing different sort of like computational tasks to it. Well, subset of that, guess what? Has to occur in a specific location. So it's going to happen on the edge part. Right. But it requires edge and cloud to work together for the best, you know, things to sort of go up and, and, and do that. And, uh, you know, you found a lot of things in uh, the marketing of cloud in the past mm -hmm. where, you know, it's enterprise IT is dead, get your own data centers, all get on cloud. It's a very, you know, it, you know, one, yes, if you're going to go market and advocate for yourself, by no means go advocate for yourself. Go argue that, you know, everyone's here. But at the same time, you know, if you go and you have some empathy towards the people that you're selling to, they don't live in a world where they're going to go all in on your idea. They live in a world that's got legacy and other things and that kind of bits, and they, they want some help about how to deal with all that stuff. And uh, And when you start looking at, in particular, the edge use cases, there has to actually be some product development work done on devices. There actually has to be things that are done in the wireless networks that get surfaced up as an embedded application environment that you'd call Edge, it would have these capabilities, and it would actually work in coordination with the public clouds. And then all this has to be tied together in, a, in, a, in an easy-to-use 
pipeline type design where you're, you're going and doing it. Um, you know, the, the whole idea of, of, um, you know, uh, trade-offs and it's edge versus, I mean, I just see edge versus cloud and I don't want to read it anymore. (laughs) Because, you know, it's no, because it's always, again, people sit around and it's like, why do you always have to use, why does everything have to be competitive? Like a, a fucking football game. Why does everything have to have a war analogy? You know? And it's like, cause, and, 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 uh, and it's a similar thing. Like when you just hear words like cloud native or you hear these various little things or, you know, it's really, it's going to go, got to go all in on edge. It's like, yeah, okay. So advocate for your little part, but it's your little part. And the reality is when you start taking a much more customer centric and empathetic view around what is it that we're really trying to solve from a problem perspective, then you're going to go and put together the right combination of things to go solve that. And it might be a little bit of edge and a little bit of cloud and something on the device and a little bit of here and a little bit of there. Uh, fine. Stay, you know, the right but, tool for the right job. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And there's no, um, but yeah, that's fine. <sighs> I tell you. <laughs> no, we had so much marketing shit in today's news. There's a lot. So much VM, marketing VMware stuff. got a new CTO, speaking of marketing. Uh, yeah, that's, 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 uh, that's fine Mm -hmm. though. I mean, it's, um, it's Kit Colbert and, uh, he's a great guy. It's a great choice. It's nice that they've put, I mean, he's, uh, uh, I think he's been there 18, 18 years. Put in his time, paid his dues, ready for a little reward. Uh, well, and he's actually technical. So he's talking, um, knows what to do. Oh, holds patents and things like V Motion and that type of thing, yeah. and, and having interacted with a couple of guys, he's a smart, he's a smart guy. So it's you good guys to ever, see. You ever met in person? Uh, and he, and I think it, we've crossed paths at events. Yeah. Um, but um, it's good to see VMware put a technology leader in place right. that has been a intelligent, passionate advocate and developer of VMware technologies. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Like that's, that's good. Uh, and, um, I think it was a great appointment. See, I I don't say just negative. No, you I never said that. You never, as far as anyone knows, never said that. Uh, TransUnion has acquired new (laughs) star. It's so funny. You know, the new star story is just an amazing story. Tell me, I I don't know it. Uh, they started out in the late nineties as a business unit inside of Lockheed Martin. Really? Yeah, I think they were a Lockheed Martin spin out. And then um, they used to do uh, a few different things. They were a domain name registrar, uh, but that got sold off to GoDaddy last year. Uh, you know, they 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 had like all of Verizon's security business, so DDoS protection, DNS firewalls, yeah, a bunch of stuff like that. Um, and they did the whole number portability system. That's, that's really largely what they did oh, as really? a company. Um, so, you know, when you'd have your, you know, basically it would manage the routing of all text messages and phone calls for all us and Canadian, um, phone numbers. Uh, and, um, and they, they lost that contract to Ericsson a few years ago, oh, no probably kidding. four or five years ago. Uh huh. And then, um, uh, stuff like that. So, you know, they started out as like a spin out of Lockheed Martin that was like literally the people that basically owned phone numbers in the United States. 
you know, why, why that's owned by, um, um, you know, a, a military contractor. I, I can, I'm sure there's a fun story there. Uh, and then, um, went through a whole bunch of fun, separate things of acquiring and splitting up and doing a lot of things here. And you had like Golden Gate Capital and GIC inside of that for a whole bunch of stuff. And I guess what they've been doing for the last five years is, uh, just chopping it up. Yeah. You know I mean? So this is sort of an acquisition of what remnants of what's left. <clears throat> this is probably the last of it. Yeah. 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 So you think of it like, think of it as a whole cow. You're going to butcher a whole cow. And then what they picked up here was probably the, the rear hind quarters. <laughs> <laughs> you know but all the other stuff's been yeah they should have they should have hired you to write their press release about this i don't know why they they didn't do that that seems like an oversight on their yeah part. I, I mean you know it's the it's the entire oh you know like lockheed martin spends out a company you know 20 something years ago yeah. and you do some things and you do some things then you you know get acquired by private equity and then you lose like a gigantic contract and then begin like split it, like break it apart and sell it off from there until it's all gone, gone by. That's it. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I mean, sounds good to me. Doesn't it? Uh, yeah. No, it sounds uh, amazing. I, we, I think we can wrap on that. I just glanced through the other articles and it's press release, press release. Well, press there's release. one thing that is a little bit of a press release, oh. but also something that's oh. interesting to me, uh, that's not in our notes, uh, that you may or may not have oh. heard about, but, uh, MailChimp was acquired. By Intuit. Intuit. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, um, and not a lot of people are happy about this. Um, at uh, least the people well, that I've know, talked it's, to about it's, it. Uh, um, have you ever met the uh, founders there, like Ben, ben Chestnut? Yeah, I met him a couple times. They brought me out to yeah. give a talk uh, in their office, uh, and I got to, yeah. to meet him and spend a little time with them. Very, very bright guy. Really super oh, yeah. well, nice he's, guy. And, and he's been, um, I mean, he's been doing MailChimp for, forever. How long? Like now? probably close I to mean, 20 years, I would guess. Yeah. Yeah. A long time. No, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they picked up MailChimp, picked up Tiny Letter and stuff too. Yeah, right? it sure did. Yep. They acquired Tiny Letter. They acquired, I mean, it's um, crazy. I mean cause ben, Ben's always been, um, um, and they were bootstrapped. Yep. Yep, fully bootstrapped. Fuck. So he bootstrapped this, and that okay. So I'm sure what he's now being described as, you know, billionaire internet entrepreneur. Uh probably, yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, yeah. he was they, apparently there had and been you know a they were in fucking they were in Georgia too. Mailchimp that had done well. I don't know how yeah, well, were, and that that provided him the ability to start Mailchimp. But it's you know, Mailchimp wasn't. No, I used to like read his, uh, cause he had a newsletter from it and he would blog about yeah. it. And I mean, cause you know, as you can imagine in the whole God, like 2001 to 2006 timeframe, you know, people would out there and be really explicitly blogging about what they were doing right. and trying to do and everything else. Um, um, was, uh, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't that many. Nope. So, but yeah, I guess they, uh, just glancing, I guess they ended up hitting like a billion in revenue. Well, good for him. Yeah. I mean, um, says here, yeah, the company remained owned by its co-founders and never took VC money. Yep. 
and, and exited for twelve billion. Uh-huh. I mean, that's insane. Oh my god! Um, he probably. I mean, he probably. I mean, I mean, he's got to own more than half of that fucking thing. Oh yeah, he does. Good for him. Yeah, it's a big deal. Good for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, because um, yeah, I guess he made it through. Um, um, yeah, he just ran that company really well. Actually, because he was really good with his people. Yeah, I mean, I, too, I did, did so. you ever get to visit their offices in Atlanta or anything like that? Why would I go to Georgia? Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I really thought, you know, they were very much ahead of the no. curve, I think, when it came to um, doing cool things for their employees. You know, they they had, like, I remember he being impressed when I went there he, back. This he, was very early he on. definitely when, was. Definitely like, was. You know, companies just didn't have, they just didn't have cool stuff for their employees, you know, and, and MailChimp yeah. did, you know, MailChimp made yeah. it. Like they had pool tables and they had ping pong and they had all of this other stuff that you could. Well, and like, you know, the idea you get full benefits and if people want to go get a degree, let's go do this. Yeah. yeah, No, they were always, um, yeah, it was a good company. Yeah. Good for him. I mean, and I'm willing to bet too that, uh, um, he's kind of guy that would say, you know, tell you what, I'm, I'm not going to make, I'm not going to make. Six billion. I'm going to make four billion, and let's give two billion all my people. Well, I think we're waiting to see that, and a lot of the responses that I saw on Twitter were about this sale happening, and a lot of people were saying, well, "What about the employees? The employees didn't own any stock. They weren't given the opportunity to own anything, and they I'm thought sure they did." Come. And the people are outraged that not not employees, not employees of Mailchimp, but people who are reading the story are outraged that, um, that, I mean, that much I mean, that, money I mean, might not admit, go I mean, to I think, Because I think Ben's about, I mean, I'm 48. I think he's about the same age. Uh-huh. And you imagine he's been doing this since his late 20s. Yeah. And having, I mean, good for him. Good for him. I mean, you know, because it's not, you're doing this stuff and bootstrapping it and running it for like 20 years. Yeah. Getting into a billion in revenue, taking care of your people, doing it in Georgia. Um, good for him. And to get an outcome like this, I mean, he probably got 10x revenue. You know, and, and I'm sure I think most of, I mean, and clearly, I mean, um, I mean, almost, I mean, in, you know, the, the reality is Intuit's been a great company towards small businesses in America. So, um, it's got, it's a great acquisition for them too. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah. Good for him. The big one, man. Big one. You know how it is. I mean, if you're sitting around, if if you and I have done some different things over the years, Uh but if you were sitting around and you were 20 years into a company and somebody said, Hey, why don't we give you 12 billion in cash for it? Yeah. And you were like the age you are right now and you've been cranking away literally since Basically, got out of grad school. Yeah. Um, I'd be like, "That's great. Yeah, let's do that." Yeah. Uh, never pass on a liquidity event. That's my opinion. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong, right? Not in this case, for sure. Nope. 
Yeah, but he's. No. Did you get to meet him too? Uh, I've never met him. No. I've never met him. I've only uh, read and admired from far. Right. I say. Right. Yeah. Well, congratulations yeah. to him. I think um, that's a good place to end for sure. Absolutely. So, um, congratulations, Ben. Congratulations, Ben. Cheers. In case you're listening. Um, if you'd like to share your feedback with us, we'd love to get it. You can go to uh, livingontheedge.show and you can click the contact link right there. We will get your emails. You can hit Jason up on Twitter at Jason H. If you want me, I'm at Dan Benjamin. And that's all we got for you this week. Uh, we'll be back next week with more stuff. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll talk again soon, Jason. Thank you, Dan.